Welcome to Pastor's Class, a Bible study program brought to you by Tim Say Ministries and Crossover Church. We pray this podcast will help enrich and strengthen your walk with Jesus Christ, and that it will lead you to read and study the scriptures more often. For more information about Tim Say Ministries and Crossover Church, please visit www.crossoverchurch.tv or give us a call at 301-927-5620. Well, we're going to continue our focus in the book of James. And we've been dealing with the issue as we look at this book, we are dealing with faith in motion. And that's what it really is about, faith in motion, not just an analytical uh, connection with faith, but the practical implication of faith in our lives. And so we turn our attention back to James in chapter 1, because we're still in chapter 1. James chapter 1. If you're there, say amen. Amen. And tonight, as a community of believers who wants to be faithful to the purpose of God, who wants to walk in the standards of God Almighty, then we want to make sure that we are committed to addressing the deception that cloaks temptation. And James deals with this. And it's in this that we begin to see there are three important questions that we have to deal with and answer as we go through this section in James. And the first is, how does temptation enter our lives? As we look at temptation, how does it enter our lives? Ask somebody, how does it enter into your life? They give you an answer? Well, we see here that as we look at this subject, James says here in verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lusts. And so we see, as history can give an account, is that when people find themselves at a place of spiritual disaster and shipwrecked in their faith, there's been this tendency to turn and cast the blame upon God. And in this, we've seen that although there's that tendency, James is helping us to understand really the source of temptation. And as those who felt that liberty to do so, it goes all the way back even to the presence of the first man created, Adam. And it would be that Adam would find himself violating the very standard that God established, not to eat of the tree of good and evil. And when God came into the garden in the cool of the day to check on Adam and Eve, he said, where are you? because they were hiding. And God said, where are you? Now, of course, God knew where they were, right? Just like he knew the woman who touched him with the issue of blood, he knew who it was. When God asks you a question, it's not so he can get an answer, right? He's not doing it so they, they will know where, he will know where they are, he's doing it so they will know where they are. And here he says, where are you? And it's in that context that it becomes revealed. He says, we were hiding because we were naked. Uh, Who told you you were naked? And did you eat of the tree that I told you not to eat of? Did you do the very thing I told you not to do? 
And Adam's response was, in dealing with this, here's the answer. The woman you gave me caused me to eat of the tree. Now, in that, there is a lot of indictment going on. First, he points out there's a woman that helped to create this mess. And then he points through her, and he points ultimately to God, the woman you gave me. And so he begins to establish this, that God, maybe if you hadn't put this woman in my life, God, you, you caused this to happen. You created this help meet. And look, she opened this door and messed everything up. Now, let's understand something. When it comes to sin, you cannot blame someone else on a conscious decision you make. Adam does that. He blames God. But what we see here is that James says, let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. See, we need to understand the reason that God cannot tempt or is not tempted because there is not the slightest degree of evil or depravity in God that would make evil appealing and therefore make him be tempted by it. God is holy. He's holy, so there's no sin that is appealing to God. And so therefore, he cannot be tempted and God doesn't tempt. Now, it's in the reality of the perfection of God Almighty. He would be God. The Bible says he cannot sin. He, he cannot lie. It's impossible for God to lie. He can't do it. He's God. Yet, it's an interesting verse in Matthew's gospel. In chapter 4, and verse 1, it says, Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Isn't that interesting? Led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. It's in that that we begin to see some things that, how many know not all of us are tempted by the same thing? Right? There are different things that affect us. Some of us are tempted maybe to eat more than we should. <laughs> some of us are tempted to spend more than we should. We spend all that we have. We spend what we don't have, right? So we're tempted to do more. We're tempted. Some of us are tempted uh, in terms of things that we expose ourselves to. Some people are tempted by pornography. Some tempted are tempted by uh, attractions that they shouldn't possess and all those things. And so, but other people can have those, be in that same setting and not be tempted at all, right? So somebody can be tempted. That they go in, into a restaurant and they got to get all the desserts and everything. Somebody can sit there like... Not, not interested, don't want it, right? And so we all can have different <laughs> levels and areas of temptation. But when you look at it, understand there are times that God will set us in a situation to make us confront our temptations so we can be honest about them. Because I think there are times we can go, okay, I'm good, I'm good. I, I, I'm all right. And, and God will cause us and expose us to the reality of things that we must confront. And the thing about Jesus, he was exposed to all things, tempted in all things as we were, yet without sin. God Almighty, cloaked in human flesh, exposed to the same temptations, but yet without sin. And so we see that in this process, it says that each man 
is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lusts. Now, the, the concept here creates an image. The image is of a fish swimming downstream. And as the fish is swimming downstream, it looks and it, it notices something in the water, something that it catches its attention. And, and it's interesting because it, it may have something attached to it, something shiny, and there may be some color attached to it. And it gets closer, and it looks, oh, that's attractive. Oh, that, that looks edible. And it goes and begins to be pulled in. It, it's, it's drawn to it. It's attractive. It's beautiful. It's appealing. It looks edible. And it gets close enough, and it takes a bite. And then, only to notice, there's a hook now in its jaw. And in that moment, we see that that's the process of temptation, that there are three things that I want you to see that can set us up and expose us and, and ensnare us. First, in the process of temptation, there is the bait. The bait speaks to the object. There's some object out there. It's a different object for different people. Like we said, we are not all tempted by the same thing. So there's the bait. There's some object out there that's that has some appeal to us. And then there is the lust, epithumia. That word speaks of something that is sacrificed, something that indeed causes us to lose something. So here it's the word lust, lust. It speaks of desire. And a desire can be a good thing, right? The Lord will give you the desires of your heart. It didn't say the Lord will give you the lust of your heart. So lust is a corruption of desire because lust is now, anytime you add selfish motivation, evil intent, you've taken desire and you've turned it into lust. And so why the Bible speaks of, it, of the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life, it's about adding evil intention. It's evil intention that you have toward a person. It's not just a, a pure attraction. It's not now just a desire to be with that person. Now you want them for you. That becomes lust. See, now you want that object for what it, how it will make you feel, how, what it does to you. It becomes impure. It's about me. It's not about God's purpose, his plan. It's not about being a blessing to the other, but what it will do for me. And the boastful pride of life, what is that? It's about having a place of position or identity so I will be at that place. I'll be perceived a certain way. So I'll be the king of the hill. It's about me. And so what happens, you take a desire and it's corrupted with lust. Because there's nothing wrong with desires to, to excel, to exceed, to have nice things in your life. But when it's all about you, then that desire becomes corrupted and becomes a lust. And so when we look at this issue of temptation, we got to understand that James is saying, it is not an external object or person when it comes down to it. The real issue is about your heart. And look in Matthew's gospel. Matthew chapter 5, chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. If you're there, say amen. amen. Matthew chapter 15. And here, Jesus speaking in verse 18, he says this. But the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and those defile the man. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, 
and murders and adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slanders. These are the things that defile the man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. And so Jesus was talking about, they were so sensitive about this ceremonial process of cleansing your hands. He says, wait a minute, you were worried about that which is nothing but an ongoing process and layers of what you had to do to be clean. It's not, about, it's not about hygiene, it's about process. And he says, you go through all that, the real issue is what's happening in your heart, impurity in your heart. So when it comes down to it, the reason we find ourselves contending with temptation is because there's something preset in us that wants that very thing and is corrupted by an evil intent. And so we've got to be honest with God about the temptations in our lives. Anybody got any temptations? Okay, this is about three of us. The rest of us are tempted to lie. So, <laughs> and obviously have succumbed to it. So, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5, you can just write that verse down we see that Satan is described as the tempter. Now, let's understand something. He cannot force you to sin. He cannot violate your will. What he can do is begin to lay the bait out and make it look pretty and, and create that scenario that, that makes it appealing. But he cannot, he can, he can create the situation but what he's doing is playing on a preset temptation that already is in your heart. See, understand, it is not the grocery store didn't make the temptation. <laughs> They're just selling the product, right? The temptation was in you when you walked in the grocery store, right? You know, if you walk down that aisle, and you saw the haagen something was going to happen, right? It's already in you. There's a haagen spirit already <laughs> resident in you that wants, and so you're tempted. Even if the doctor says, you got to cut it out, don't do it. What happens? There's something in you, it's already on the inside. And so that Satan, the tempter, cannot force you, but he can set the stage for you to deal with what's already that attraction in your heart. So there's debate, the object, there is lust, the corruption of what is, it could be a pure desire, and then there's the allurement. He says you're carried away, carried away, that you're taken away. The hook is in your jaw. See, you once had it, now it has you. And how many know you, you've ever experienced this point? It, it, it is a place where you maybe dabbled with a sin, played around with a sin, and then you'd realize you no longer have that sin. It now has you. It's like you wake up in the morning in pursuit of that because now it has you. And you open that door up and, and you establish that it will have you. So James has established now, when we look at the issue of temptation, it cannot be laid at the feet of God. It does not originate in God. It does not proceed from God. That temptation finds its place resident within us. When each man looks at the bait, lusts for it, and then 
takes hold of it and is carried away by it. It comes from the heart. The second question we have to deal with is how does it affect our lives? Ask somebody, how does temptation affect your life? Let's go back and see what James says in chapter 1. He says in verse 15, Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Wow, let's just stop there. So when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Understand there's a connection. When lust hooks up with your heart and your lust and your heart become intimate, it's in that intimate relationship between lust and your heart that they conceive. And what is conceived out of that relationship is a baby called sin. And so sin now is present because of the connection between your heart and lust. You have, you have come to a place where you've moved from a pure intent to an evil intent. Your heart has embraced it, and out of that comes sin. Now, how many know a baby is present long before you see it? It's not like you automatically have that connection and there's a visible baby. The baby is resident. The baby is there. That's why when Jesus talks and he says, if you look upon a woman with lust in your eyes, you've already committed adultery. Well, he said, no, I haven't committed adultery. I, I didn't do anything. He said, no, the baby's already in you. The baby's already in your heart. You, you've done it in your heart. Now what happens practically is a belated expression of the sin that's already in your heart. You're simply carrying out what's already there. And so he's, he's establishing that when there's connection between lust and your heart, that baby is conceived. Sin is conceived. Now, when you have sin there, of course it's going to have a, a radical impact on your life. It's gonna, you can never have a good relationship with sin. You can never have a productive relationship with sin. Sin will cause you to stumble. Sin will deplete you of life. Sin will rob you of the blessed life. Sin will take enjoyment out of your experience. So it's in this that we see that that sinful connection, it brings forth sin. And understand, it's not the issue of having a sinful nature. Let's talk about that for a moment. That was applicable to you before you got saved. But once you came into the kingdom of God and you were born again, the Bible says you have a new nature. You have a divine nature, the nature of God Almighty. So you have a new nature. God's resident in you. Your sin now is a conscious decision of your will to go against the plan of God. You now can make a decision. Maybe before you were saved, you were caught up and you, you, had, you said, I, I just had to do this, couldn't, couldn't stop myself. But now that you're in the kingdom and the Spirit of God lives within you and you've been born again, understand you have the ability to make a choice for God or for yourself, 
for right or for wrong, for obedience or for sin. You have the ability to make that choice. And so here, James is helping us to see something that as we find ourselves in this place, that we have to come to understand that the process. So here is your heart and here is lust. They get connected. They conceive a child called sin. When that child grows up, and, and let's look at that verse. It says here, when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. When sin is accomplished, it brings forth, it means to come into maturity, come to a place of growth, to be developed. When sin becomes a full-grown man, that man is called death. So think about it now. So here's your heart, here is lust, they are merged together. They conceive a child. That child is called sin. Now that child is growing up. And as that child grows up in your life, it produces death. And so we realize then that if we walk in sin long enough, it, we are dying to something in God. Because you cannot cohabitate righteousness and sin, vibrancy with God and sin in your life. So something is dying inside of you as you have that relationship with sin. Sin is antithetical to a productive relationship with God. So it's in this that it produces this child, that child called sin, and then he grows up. Oh, understand, sin is not simply content just to be resident in your life. Sin is about taking over. Now, either you're going to mature or sin is going to mature. And that maturity is about killing something in your walk. And so you see there are times when somebody gives themselves over with sin and they hold on to that sin and they're working with that sin and dealing with that sin and matures in their life. It creates a disconnect. There, there are times you, you say, what has happened to that person? They, they've lost their fire. They've lost their vibrancy because the, it was killing something in their walk. They used to be so excited about God. That now they've come, become so cynical and so critical. What happened? They lost their perspective. They lost their kingdom uh, connection. What? It was killing something in their walk because sin was maturing and they were becoming immature. James gets us to a place as we walk through this, James wants us to see that there is a way in which we can confront this. But I want you to see something. There's a verse in Isaiah 59. Would you turn to Isaiah chapter 59? Isaiah here is helping us when he says this, chapter 59, verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save. <laughs> and, I, and I hope you get that. His, his, his hand is not so short that he cannot save, nor is his ear so dull that he cannot hear. God doesn't have issues getting to you. God doesn't have issues, the inability to hear you. But your iniquity has made a separation between you and your God and your sin have hid his face from you so that he does not hear. 
So something is happening not only in you, but in the context of your relationship with God. It's creating a, a chasm between you and God. As a believer, sin is creating this chasm between you and God that is hurting you and is precipitating that death. It, he's responding so much so that there are times that God wants to bless you, but because you're romancing sin, he can't give you what he wants to give you and bless you the way he wants to bless you. Now, as we look at this, James says in this last section on that subject of temptation, we see here and deal with the issue, how do we respond to it in our lives? How do you respond to temptation? Ask somebody, how do you respond to it? Ask them, has that been working for you? Now say, why aren't you saying anything? <laughs> now, let's, I'm going to read the whole section again so you can get the flow of thought. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil. And he himself does not tempt anyone but each one is tempted when he is carried away, the allurement, and enticed by his own lusts, resident within him. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death when it's matured. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadows. So what he says here, dealing with how do we respond to it, how do we, how do we deal with it, how do we have victory over it, he first establishes this point, don't be deceived. Now he's talking to Christians. So if he's telling us don't be deceived, he's telling us there's a capacity for us to be deceived. As Christians, there's a capacity for us to slip into deception. And here's the area that we can be deceived about. Going back from the very beginning of this section, we laid a foundation about the nature and character of God. That there's nothing evil in God. There's no degree of depravity in God that would make sin or evil appealing to him. God is holy. So we begin with the area of the character of God. We end the section now with the character of God. For it says that in him there is no variation or shifting shadows. What he's saying here is dealing with the issue of who God is has everything to do with your ability to deal with temptation. Your perspective of God has everything to do with your ability to deal with temptation in your life. How you view God will shape your view of temptation. How big temptation is or how small it is, your ability to overcome it has everything to do with how you view God. So he says two things about God. And, and they are really defined this way. It really is seen in what is called the veracity of God. That God is faithful. God is faithful. If you understand that God is faithful, it positions you to deal with the issue of temptation. The second is the issue of God when it comes to his character is his immutability. That is that God is consistent. God doesn't change. Now, if you get these two aspects of the character of God, that God is faithful and that God doesn't change, it will help you deal with the issues and the presence of temptation in your life. 
So let's look at this. That God is faithful. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation. So God is a God who gives good things to his people. Every good and perfect gift, it comes down from God. Good things come from God. Great things come from God. Perfect things, perfect things from your life, for your life come from God. Perfect, think about it now. The best thing you can get in your life will come from God. And good and perfect things, so we understand, what does he do? What does God do? He causes all things to work together for, for the good, to those who love God are called according to his purpose. God is about good development in your life. He's about good things occurring in your life. He's about good things happening in your life. And he is faithful to make sure to set the stage for you to experience good things. Amen. Okay, now I hope you can see where we're going. So he's setting the stage for you to experience good things in your life. God's character, God's nature is to bless us, to enlarge us, to enhance us. It's interesting when you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and this would be a great memory verse for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse, verse 13. Some of you may already know this verse. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It says, No temptation has overtaken you by such, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you may be able to endure it. Okay, now, here it is. God is faithful. The veracity of God. He's faithful. And so when temptation comes your way, there's something that God is working on inside of you, right? Because there's something in you that's attracted to that thing. There's a lust. There's something that, that wants to jo that join your heart to an evil intent. God is faithful. God is faithful to provide a way of escape in the face of that temptation. Now, I hope you hear this. Sometimes the way of escape looks just like wisdom. Have any of you been in an experience where you were about to engage something and God said, no, don't do that. Don't go there. Don't be in that setting. And you did it anyway. And you saw why God said. See, sometimes the way of escape happens before you even encounter the temptation. And then there are times in the face of the temptation, God can still, wisdom, wisdom. Okay, I see what's happening. I, I see how this is going. I need, to, I need to make an adjustment here. And sometimes wisdom looks just like running. 
Paul said to his son in the Lord Timothy, flee youthful lust. Now, what flee means in the original language is flee. <laughs> get up and run. There are times you need to get out of that setting. There are times you need to move. Because there is this possibility that if you stay in a setting too long, that the temptation, that unre unrenewed area of your mind that still needs to be renewed, how you're processing this, your mind is ready to make a connection with lust, right? And because you are a tripartite being, you have a body, how many know you can have impulses in your body that to say, okay, and they're ganging up on your spirit. <laughs> and before you know it, I mean, it's two to one. There's your soul <laughs> and your body saying, come on, let's go for it, right? And, and so you've got to make sure, now don't, don't even allow yourself to be in that situation and allow yourself to go down to a road where you're in a fight within yourself. And if you can realize that God is faithful, I'll, I'll come back to that moment. The second thing is that God doesn't change. Immutability, he remains the same. God is consistent. God is consistent. He says, not a matter. It's like shifting shadows. There's no shifting shadows in God. See, when the sun comes out, it creates a shadow. And you go out and you stand in the sun and you can see your shadow. And when you see your shadow, let's say about noon, you can see it at a certain length. But toward the end of the day, it's at a different length. Well, God doesn't change like that, like shifting shadows. God remains to be the same. So God is who he is and continue to be who he is regardless of what's happening all around you. So what James is helping us to see is this. When it comes down to it, there are things that are tempting to us. But why would I succumb and be deceived to, to bite into that temptation, to submit to that temptation when God has something perfect for me, something good for me, something better for me? So my ability to deal with temptation is not about my ability to stand strong in the moment. My ability to t deal with temptation is to recognize who God is and his plan and intention for my life. And if I can see who God is and his plan that he is faithful and that he never changes, then if there's something I desire, I can wait upon God at the right time because he's faithful and he doesn't change. If I get a distorted view of who God is, then I, I stop seeing him as faithful and I stop seeing uh, that he doesn't change and I get lost in who he is, so my desire for it now turns to lust because I can't believe God's going to allow it to happen when I believe he can do it. I stop believing that God can bring it to pass and I got to bring it to pass. And when I do that, I divert, I, I corrupt desire and I turn it into lust. It has everything to do with how I view God. And so if I view God correctly, I can deal with the presence of temptation and even deal with what, as God shows me, the things in my heart that needs to be adjusted so I can grow and mature. Instead of sin maturing, I mature. Amen. I grow up. I develop. I become that person that God is desiring me to be, as I'm honest. Sometimes you're going to grow as you're running. 
right? Amen. As you're running, you're growing. You're developing. You're, they're, they're, it's those decisions. Sometimes they, they look like little decisions, but they could be huge decisions. Huge decisions. Adjustments that you make that have everything to do with you not being ensnared. Amen? Amen. I mean, it, it could be as simple as turning something off on television. Something that can get in your spirit and just pollute you. Pollute you. I used to like looking at boxing on, on HBO, but there's so much stuff on HBO that you don't even have to try to look at that just comes up. I just had to say, I had to take it out, cut it out. Because I, I don't want to look at boxing Saturday night and then have something else come on and then get up and preach Sunday morning. And that junk is all in me, right? I think he's making those little decisions that are huge. And, and there's nothing, it's nothing passive about HBO. It's in your face. That had to go. Showtime, all that stuff. That stuff that says right now we have no moral balance. Now, you, you need to know where you are. It's, all of us is not the same. For me, that had to go. Because I don't want that stuff in my spirit. Not just Sunday morning. All week long, I don't want that stuff in my spirit. And we've got to make those kind of decisions to make sure that we can mature, that we don't let sin mature in our lives. Ask somebody, is God big enough? He's faithful, and he doesn't change. And if I can believe God, that means that gives me the ability to wait on God. I know we want things now, but if we can wait for the perfect gift, wait for the right thing, and not be seduced with our own temptations to rush into something, and realize that wasn't of God. Amen. 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 And it's so sad. It's a sad thing when you come to a place and you're in deception. Because that's when you begin to call evil good. Evil good. And so you don't want to be in deception. You don't want to be that fish with a hook in your jaw being carried along. You want to be free to walk in the purpose and plan of God. Thank you for listening to Pastor's Class. We hope you enjoyed this program. For more messages and Bible study teachings, please visit www.crossoverchurch.tv or give us a call at 301-927-5620. If you live in the D.C., Maryland, or Virginia area, come visit us at our home location, 5340 Baltimore Avenue, Hyattsville, Maryland, 20781. Pastors Class is a weekly Bible study that occurs Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. at our home location. We would love for you to join us. May God bless you and guide you as you continue to study to show thyself approved in the grace of Christ Jesus.